I'd like you to take out your Bibles now and turn them to the book of Romans. Book of Romans. We're going to be looking simply at two verses, but we'll read this great doxology, a hymn that the Apostle Paul wrote leading into these two verses. So Romans chapter 11, we'll begin with verse 33. And let's stand as we take time to hear our Father's word. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever. Amen. Therefore. I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good pleasing and perfect will and this is the word of God thanks be to God it's so hard for me to believe that it's been almost three months since I entered again into uh, being a pastor and I am so thankful I am so thankful it has been such a joy Right. I was looking for applause. You could tell trying to trying to bait, trying to bait you there. But one of the things that I've discovered is that the main questions that were asked of me many years ago when I started pastoring are the same questions that I find you are asking me now. I mean, there's so many. But but I think that the question that I am asked most often is something like this. Uh, What would God have me to do in this situation? And I'm walking through this sort of issue right now. What would God have me to do? Can you help me with that, Pastor? Or, or the way that we used to put it is, how can I know the will of God? <laughs> there was the old formulation. And knowing that we are just coming through Thanksgiving season and just before the Advent season, I had thought perhaps I should look at the ways, rather supernatural, unforgettable ways, that people discern God's leading In the Advent stories, Uh, let me just tell you a few of them. Uh, Luke chapter one, an old priest named Zechariah has an angel appear to him and tells the old priest that his equally old wife, Elizabeth, is going to have a son and they'll they'll have to name him John. I think Zechariah must have said something like, well, shut my mouth. Because you know the story, that, that's what he did, <laughs> shut his mouth. And even though Zechariah remained speechless for a while, at, at least he knew what God would have him to do. Uh, later on in the chapter, his young niece, Mary, is told by the same angel that she is going to have a child, even though she had never had relations with a man. Now, this had to be troubling, don't you think? 
And as troubling as such things are, at least, at least she knew what God would have her to do and what was going to transpire. Okay, just one chapter later, you have these angels, uh, shepherds on the hillside. When first one angel appear, and then a whole bunch of angels appear. I've, I've thought maybe it takes more angels for shepherds because their minds have been dulled by being with sheep all the time. I, I really don't know. But they declare that the Messiah is going to be born and where these shepherds can go to see him. And it simply says that these shepherds were terrified. Well, I think I would have been too, but at least they knew what they were supposed to do, right? And then they're the Magi. They had a nice star shining overhead, pointing the direction where they're supposed to go. I, I think if I'd had a choice, I would have chosen the star. Would you? I mean, these angels always terrified people. They must have been a whole lot different from the angels of our current imagination or those little cherub-like creatures on the card shops. I think in a, a star sort of pointing this way rather than that. That's what I think I would like God sometime to send me when I'm wondering what he would have me to do. What about you? Well, I'll tell you, I have rarely had angelic visitations. And I've rarely had stars overhead. There have been times in which God's will was so unmistakable for me. But in the normal course of events, I have found that there are other ways that we walk with the Lord. Haven't you? And yet I still have people wanting me to give them some sort of a formula. You know, step one, step two, checklist, step three equals, then I'll know exactly what to do. I can't tell you how many times I've had people ask me for that. So I'm going to try to do it this morning, though. With a bit of tongue in cheek. Because about the only place where we have that sort of thing given to us is the text that I read to you. Look again, Romans chapter 12, the second part of verse 2. Then, the Apostle Paul writes, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. You'll be able to test and approve His good and pleasing and perfect will. That word, then you'll be able to do it, gives us some hope. What does he say just before that? Well, as we look at it, we see three steps. <clears throat> now, um, before I look at them, let me give you a warning. Everybody says they want to know God's will. But what I've found is often we only want God to do our will. Let me give you another warning in the form of a question. Are you sure you really want to know the will of God? His ways are not our ways. His ways sometimes lead us through the valley of the shadow of death. I will tell you his way is good, pleasing and perfect, but sometimes we have to be patient to see it. So if you still want to listen, let's begin. Step number one. Step number one. I put it this way. Evaluate your motives. Look deep inside of your heart and evaluate your motives. Why is it that you're saying you want to do God's way, because, you know, we're pretty self-directed people, aren't we? <laughs> we? We simply want our own ways. You, what on earth would ever motivate one of us to want to do somebody else's will, even if that somebody else is God himself? And in this text, we see two important things. One important word, one important phrase, one important word, one important phrase. The word is therefore, and the phrase is in view of God's mercy. Uh, therefore, have you ever heard that old maxim? 
If you read a therefore, you must find out what it's. All right. Kind of corny, but it sure is helpful, isn't it? It makes us look back to what has gone on before. And what has gone on before? The rest of the book of Romans. Verses 1 and 2 are often given to us as sort of as a swinging door, leading us from one section into another. And let me simply tell you a little bit about what's been happening. It seems that, that this letter that is called the book of Romans that Paul was writing was written to a church where you might find it hard to imagine. Church people were finding it hard to get along with one another. Can we even imagine that could happen? There seemed to have been a variety of factions in that church where they didn't get along with one another. Probably many, but at least two. You had the Jewish heritage faction and the non-Jewish, the Gentile faction. And, and strangely, both groups, both groups would argue, we are the strong ones, they are the weak ones. If only they would learn something and become more like us, then all of this would be worked out. Doesn't it sound like it's being written for our day? It's just amazing how relevant the scripture is. I want you to see what Paul says throughout the rest of the book. He starts by talking about God and about us. And the first three chapters are painful to read because he lets us know that whether you are Jew or Gentile, young or old, male or female, educated or uneducated, each one of us is not quite right. Each one of us is fundamentally flawed. And we talk about this matter of the righteousness of God being the centerpiece of the book of Romans. But really what he's saying is everything about God is right. When we compare ourselves with God, there's something about each one of us that is not right. From head to toe, we have fallen short. And he ends in chapter 3 by pointing out there is none that is right. None righteous. No, not one. You could find him. He feels like a preacher to me. Pounding on the pulpit. For all have sinned, he says. All have sinned. Each one of us, each one of the factions has fallen short of the glory of God. How can we be so proud? But then the hope. But now a way to be right has been made known. And it's not what we can earn. It is all from God. The wages of our sin is death. Romans 6.23. But there's a gift. Hallelujah. There's a gift. The gift of God is the opportunity for eternal life. And it comes through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Romans 8, 1. So that now, for those in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. Do you like that phrase? There is no condemnation. And God gives a spirit to us. It's not just that he forgives us of sins. He, he begins remaking us, re, recreating us. And he's not going to be done until we are... Reformed, refashioned in the image of Christ, what God made us to be in the first place. And until he's done, nothing will separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Paul, at the end of chapter 11, says, hallelujah, hallelujah. Therefore, because God in his mercy has loved us, we don't deserve it. Therefore, in view of God's mercy. In view of the mercy of God. Now, are you with me here? There are many things that would motivate us to live God's way rather than our own. But there is one central message that permeates all of Scripture. The central motivation for you and me living God's way rather than our own is gratitude. 
It is gratitude. I've seen the effect of it throughout my entire life and my entire ministry. I'll tell you, when I've come into a church where you have people operating by pride, almost with the spirit, God must be awfully happy to have people like us in his church. (laughs) I'll tell you, it's the hardest group to preach to I've ever found in my entire life. I just have to try to find some new way of entertaining folks. But if I come into a church where people know we have fallen short, and it's not just that faction over there, I, too, am not quite all that God would have me to be. But God loves me anyway. While I was a sinner, Christ died for me. When we have that grateful, grateful heart, then the opening of God's word and hearing what our father who loves us so much would have to say to us becomes the easiest thing in all of the world. Because we simply want to hear something from a Lord who has shown us, who has shown us mercy. And it's this point that Christian faith is not somehow us earning our way to God and showing them that we're good enough to be in his family, but simply that all of us are recipients of his mercy that sets Christian faith apart from all other religions. See, Christian faith is a response, just a response to what God has done for us. He's shown us mercy and we say, how can I respond to that? See, back in Jesus' day, you had a lot of people who wanted to live good lives. You had the Pharisees, for example. But they tried to live a good life because they wanted to establish their own righteousness before God. Um, Also in Jesus' day, you had Eastern religions in which you had people who embodied or embraced Eastern religions would try to live a good life. But it's because they believed in a law of karma that if they didn't do good things, they would come back in the next life as as a roach instead of a cow or, or something like that. It would pay them back so they'd better live a good life. And in our own day, you see people trying to do things, passing out magazines here or there, often simply out of fear or out of duty or out of just simple self-respect. But Christians, you and I are going to be motivated differently. What is going to motivate us to seek God's will rather than my own is that I am so grateful that he has done something for me that I don't that I don't deserve that I say, Father. Thank you. Here I am. Whatever you would want, wherever you would have me to go, I will be there. What will motivate us is what David wrote about in the Psalms. He lifted me out of a miry pit. Can you believe it? Did you ever feel like you were in one of those? He lifted me out of that thing. He put my feet on a rock. And he gave me a new song to sing. My brothers and sisters, the more deeply we believe that, the more ready we will be to accept God's will in our life. Step number two. What then is the act? This is something I will probably talk about so many times as God gives us the opportunity. It is an intentional act of faith. To take time when we remember the cross and what God has done for us and to specifically say, Father, here's my life again. Here's, it, it begins this life with God. When we first receive Christ the Savior and give our sins and our lives to him, we are made alive to God. But every day of our lives, this side of heaven is an opportunity for ha- us to engage in an act of faith. And in this, we need to renew our commitment to Christ that we are to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. That is what is holy and pleasing to God. 
That is what our spiritual act of worship is all about. Now look at that phrase with me. Uh, In view of the mercy of God, offer your body to God. Do you think that means that you just offer this physical part of yourself and not your mind and your emotional being? Uh, I'm sure you know it means the whole of ourselves. Uh, uh, Paul is not separating our, our bodies from the rest of us. So I'm sure what he means is offer all that you are. What can you give to God? What God wants you to give to him is all that you are every moment of your life, every place that you go. But it is interesting for me that the Bible specifically says, offer your body to God. And let me tell you why. Because in the first century world, some people thought it wasn't all that big a deal what you do with these physical bodies. There were whole groups of people that thought what you did with your physical body wasn't important. It's only what was inside of you that was important. Sounds a lot like what I hear today. In fact, a little bit later, there were people who would argue it doesn't matter if you engage in sexual sin, in unfaithfulness to your spouse, because what you do with your body isn't all that important. Can you imagine anybody arguing that in 21st century Southern California? I think so. How could God possibly care about such things? These individual private acts that I engage in. Well, let me tell you, he does. Because all that we are has been created by God. And when we recognize that he loves us in spite of ourselves, we offer the places we go with these bodies to God. We say, Father, would this please you? We offer the things that we do with our bodies to God. Father, would this please you? It shows us on the positive side, on the positive side, that this matter of worship is more than just showing up at church and singing songs. It is that. By God's grace. And I pray we have this morning. But it's more than that. What is the spiritual act of worship? Almost anything we do can be an act of worship if it's done as unto the Lord. I used to talk with our sports teams about that. I would always go in and say football as an act of worship. Soccer as an act of worship. Why? Because anything we engage in when we do it as unto the Lord. When we recognize that every gift that we have, he has given us. When we do it in a way and we say, Father, this is a gift you've given me. I'm going to do it to the best of my ability because it's your gift to me, to your honor and glory. All of life can be exciting and all of life can be an act of worship. When you leave this place, real worship actually can be engaged in because as you live your life in this world, It can be life lived to the glory of God, looking at each moment as an opportunity to put him at the center of your being. Now, this this particular phrase, spiritual act of worship, some of your Bibles might have a logical act of service. Uh, Let me help you understand that, too, because I think it's beautiful. Before Jesus came, the way that God's people usually acted in worship was that they would bring animals. I'm glad we still don't do this bring animals into the place of worship, and then they would offer them, they would kill them, and offer them in sacrifice to God. Now that Christ has come, we don't do that. Book of Hebrews, once for all, once for all, one sinless one for our redemption. How do we worship now? Well, we don't bring things in and kill them. It's a living sacrifice. It's our lives being put on the altar for God. It's me saying, my life is no longer mine. I belong to you. How would you have me to live? Uh, Nor is it simply bringing an unreasoned animal. 
It's bringing people made in the image of God. Us bringing ourselves to Him and saying, Father, You have made me. I give myself back to You. That is what God would have us to do. Step one. Come into the church. Remember again the cross. The mercy of God. Can we be thankful again for what He has done in spite of ourselves? Step number two. Our response is, Father, here I am. How can I be proud? I give myself to you wherever you would have me to go. I will go to your glory. And then number three, step number three, redirect your thinking. It seems like this key to knowing what God would have us to do has to do with what we engage in with our minds. Do you have your Bible in front of you? I think I have it up here. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Okay, this word conform means to take the external shape of. Uh, I've found that there are all sorts of things that affect the way you and I behave. But often we learn our behavior. Uh, when we're first born, we had these wonderful child dedications. You, the parents, your children are going to learn so much from you. Sometimes it's scary. My son is on the third row. Sometimes it's very scary. That, that, that our children learn from us. But as they keep growing, as they keep growing, there are other influences that come in and sometimes have more time with our children than we have, right? Uh, television, uh, advertising, uh, media, uh, school, uh, peer groups and friends. All of these things shape the way we think and the way that we live. Paul says that is the pattern of the world. Much of it is Godless. What he says is beware. You and I are going to be trying to be shaped to think like everybody else in the world thinks so that we can sort of fit in. But don't let it happen, he says. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. If you find yourself thinking, well, everybody else is doing it this way, that isn't an argument that you should. It might be an argument that we need to be aware of that. That there might be a better or a newer way of doing it, namely God's way. Don't be conformed. To the pattern of this world. But, but how do we avoid that, I ask? <laughs> because how do I avoid all of these things in the world shaping the way that I think and I act? It, it has to do with, with our minds. Instead, be transformed. Sounds a lot like conform. It also means to, to take on a shape. But there is a subtle difference. It's a word for metamorphosis. It really is a change from the inside to the out. Conform is to kind of take on a jello mold type of shape. It wasn't what you were originally supposed to be. To transform is to be changed from the inside to the out, to become what God created us to be in the first place. What steps do I take? And the Bible drives home this point. It starts in our minds. Uh, two parts of that. One is what we set our minds on. Uh, Romans 8, 5. Those who continue just to live like the rest of the world set their minds on the things in this world. They simply want to be a financial success, simply want to have pleasure. They want to have the way that the world thinks about their best life, and they want it right now. And when they ask for the will of God, that's what they're asking Him to give them. Making a demand of God. Uh, instead, we start setting our minds on things that really matter. The love of God, the love of people, 
things that matter eternally, setting our minds on those and beginning to see that there will be a difference because we're focusing on the important things. Second part of this mind renewal, the second part of this has to do with what we put into our minds. Book of Philippians, brothers and sisters, those things that are good and pure and noble and honorable. Think about those things. We have some mathematicians in our church. Can you imagine taking out a calculator, putting in all of the wrong mathematical information, and then you ask for the, the answer? This, it's, it's going to come out. You put junk in, junk's going to come out, right? Put in error, error is going to come out. And in the same way, what we have to learn to do, and this is one of the reasons why it's important for you to regularly come into the fellowship of believers and to learn to regularly read those things that are good, to fill your mind with the things of God and of Scripture, we come in and we fill our minds with God, focus our attention on Him. And when we are transformed by the renewing of our minds, then the result, you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. And you will find that it is good, pleasing, it's perfect. It is perfect. I mean, why would we expect otherwise? I'll ask you a question that I ask so often. When, when we receive communion today, do you think the Lord Jesus gave his life so that those who follow him would find that their lives are ruined? Do you think he would be so silly as to give his life on the cross so that he could take away all of our joy? So that we would never live a life that is full and abundant. Of course not. He gave his life. So you and I can at last begin truly to live as our maker made us to live. When we're grateful for it and we begin living his way, we will be able to attest and approve how God would have us to live. And we'll find that it's good and pleasing and perfect. I remember I was talking about this when I first started as a pastor. There was one young man I had the chance to lead to the Lord. And um, he was an engineer, as so many at Lake Avenue Church are. (laughs) And he just wanted the nuts and bolts of this. What difference does this make in every day of my life? We would play tennis and talk about things. And finally, one day after he'd been a believer for about three months, he said, Pastor Greg, let me ask you, do you think I'm, I'm on the right track with this? Before I became a follower of the Lord. I'd wake up in the morning and I'd say, all right, what do I want to do today? How do I want to live today? Now, when I wake up in the morning, I think, Father, my life is yours. How would you have me to live today? How would you have me to work today? How would you have me to interact with people today? Do you think I'm on the right track? What do you think? I am sure he was. I am sure he was, because in view of the mercy of God to him, he had offered all that he was day in, day out to the Lord as an act of worship and an act of praise. You know, as I put this sermon together, you you can tell it's kind of tongue in cheek by talking about step one, step two, step three. Because this matter of walking with God, as I read the Bible, is not so much a, a formula It is a way of life. It is a way of life. Where you and I learn every day of our lives to be grateful 
for the grace and the mercy and then the presence of God. And we give our lives every day wholly as an act of worship to him. It's, it's not unlike a marriage. The Bible uses, except that you have one perfect partner in, in the marriage. And I, I'm awfully close with my wife, you know that. But even she isn't absolutely perfect yet. So, so you have to go gingerly through these things as a pastor. In our marriages, there's no absolutely perfect partner, right? And in, and in this relationship to God, there is one. So we see that there is that difference. But I tell you, in all the weddings that I have done, one of the things that I have thought so many times is I see this young couple smiling, walking down the aisle. I sometimes I look and I say, do they have any idea what they're getting into? <laughs> do they have any idea what they're getting into? I've tried to warn them. I've tried to let them know what this is supposed to be. And I have ways that I've tried to drill this home in almost every wedding. When they come, I'll ask, now, what is the most expensive part of this wedding? Is it the, uh, the reception? Is it, is, it the, is it the rings? Is it the, the honeymoon that will... I always hope they'll say it's the minister's fee. I just... <laughs> always, it, it, it never is. It never is. And then I come to the point just before the vows. And I said, let me tell you what it is. It is these promises that you make. It's these promises that you make. For better, for worse. How can you possibly know how bad that worse might actually be? Richer, poorer. How poor could that be? Sickness or in health? What might that sickness be? Some of you are beginning to learn that in your marriages. I remember talking about that in a recent wedding that I did. Uh, the young man was a football player. The young woman, had, I'd been her pastor for a long time. And after I'd made the point, after the wedding, he came up to me and he said, uh, Pastor Greg actually called me President Waybright. Pastor Greg, he said, you know, when you asked about that, that didn't bother me. Because I can't believe that she was willing to make those promises to me. And I'm just so grateful to be her husband that I'm ready to accept Whatever that worse is, whatever that sickness might be. And I think he had captured the heart of what the Christian faith is to be. God loves us so much, in spite of ourselves, that when we become members of his family through faith in Jesus, we say we are so grateful that we're willing to go wherever he would have us to go because we trust him. And because we're thankful to him. And this is my message. My brothers and sisters. In view of the mercy of God. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then, then, you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. And you will find that it is good, it is pleasing, and it is perfect. And you will live to His glory. Amen.